Bibles uh, to 1 John chapter 2, and I'm going to pick up where I left off uh, last night, and um, <clears throat> I am um, working through some of the things that we've been doing on our Monday and Tuesday nights. I guess you have noticed that I am picking up some of the theme uh, with that, and uh, so we'll pick up tonight uh, in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 7. And uh, while you are turning there, I will uh, tell you we may be doing something very different uh, next Wednesday night. May uh, meet a little earlier. I've had a friend of mine uh, that pastors on the East Coast, and uh, there may be an opportunity that they live stream our Wednesday night service to their church. And so we'll be letting you know a little bit more about that. And as it as it gets a little closer to time, I just was contacted just almost right before I come in uh, tonight, but we'll let you know a little bit about that uh, as it develops. First John chapter two, and I would like to start in verse seven. First John chapter two and verse seven, the Bible says, "Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning." The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. And he that loveth his brother abideth in the light and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. I want you to notice that. That's a pretty important statement that John uh, writes uh, to us there, that, uh, that he that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. And um, so I'm gonna teach uh, here tonight about um, not an old commandment, but a new commandment. And it is an old commandment that is a new commandment. Um, and yet the new commandment is very much rooted uh, in, in the old. And uh, so when you start looking uh, again at 1 John, and I did mention uh, that if you have uh, questions, you ask yourself sometime, how, how can I know that I'm ready to meet the Lord? And uh, I mentioned that 1 John chapter 2 is a good summary uh, of a chapter whenever you start looking at the marks of a true believer uh, because 1 John chapter 5 helps us to see uh, where we're at. In fact, uh, I'll go through it again. Uh, the Bible says um, in that that we keep the commandments. We taught on that last night. Uh, tonight is loving your brother. We've talked about spiritual growth uh, that takes place. You see in, in chapter verses 12 to 14, you see three classes or groups of people there. You see uh, little children. Uh, you see uh, young men, and you see fathers, uh, which helps us to understand what is John talking about. He's talking about spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. 
And then uh, in 2, 15 through 17, uh, there is that part about us and our relationship with the world. And John uh, was clear. In fact, if you have your Bibles still open, look with me uh, to what John writes in chapter 2, verse 15. He says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That is a very uh, declarative statement that you read. Uh, there, that there can't be a part where that the love of the world and the things of the world and the love of the Father work in tandem. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And so again, uh, looking on uh, to the next is that there is a guard against the Antichrist or false teachers. It's important for us uh, to be able to discern uh, what is taking place around us. And then in verses 24 through 27, uh, that you have the gospel uh, that is abiding in you. And then the last one is in verses 28 and 29, and that is, is that we abide in Christ. If you remember John 15, uh, that if we abide, he's talking about the vine and the branches. And if the branches uh, abide in that vine, uh, then there is going to be life that is going to be uh, well taken care of in uh, that part. And so it is that you start looking, uh, we're at a point now in our uh, time, Brother Patterson just mentioned it just a few minutes ago, uh, although not totally about uh, this, but we're, we're in a political race right now and it's about to heat up. I got a feeling that between now and November that it is really going to be quite uh, a run toward the White House. And uh, <clears throat> what we're seeing is we're seeing that there is a sense of a new morality uh, that has taken our world, taken our na not just our nation, but it's taken our, our world. You see trends that's taking place in Europe. You see things that are taking place here, uh, even in the United States, that a generation ago would have been extremely uh, in a place of, of much surprise. Uh, and yet there are people that say that morality does not matter. Uh, it doesn't matter if I have no self-control. It doesn't matter if uh, we do not have a matter of moral purity uh, or even on a greater level have any regard for God whatsoever. And that's the world and the generation that we are living in right now. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Proverbs 23 uh, and seven, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 35, a good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. And then uh, in Matthew chapter 15, I want you to turn there uh, with me for just a moment. Matthew chapter 15 uh, we see some parts that addresses this uh, issue in a very similar way. Uh, Matthew chapter 15, and look with me 
to verse 13. Uh, the Bible <clears throat> says, but he answered and said, Matthew 15, 13, but he answered and said, every plant which my father, or which my heavenly father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. And then answered Peter and said unto him, declare unto us this parable. And Jesus said, are ye also without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the draught? But those things which proceed out of the heart come forth from the heart and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashing hands defileth not a man. Now I'm sure every kid uh, would... Uh, enjoy that verse and then there are some that right now are very particular about their hands being washed and yet the Lord was telling us that uh, it's not so much what's on the outside but it's what's on the inside that really points a life in uh, the direction that uh, it goes. And uh, when you start looking at how crucial and how important uh, that your heart is, it's very important. Uh, that, that we find ourselves in a place where that we, we listen to verses, uh, passages like we read in 1 John uh, chapter 2 where it speaks about us making sure uh, that we follow the commandments that have been given uh, to us. So let's just kind of unfold this here uh, for the next little bit and I'll try to pay attention to the time. Um, oh yeah, service Sunday morning will start at 10 o'clock and uh, so if you come for expecting morning worship at 11, uh, we were going to be pretty well moving on the direction, but Sunday morning we'll start uh, at uh, 10 o'clock. So be sure to get the word out. We'll try to make sure we get that uh, to as many of you as we possibly can. But um, anyway, so Sunday morning at, at 10 o'clock. And I, back to I'll try to pay attention to what time it is. It's 7.29. Uh, right now according to Clay and Matt's clock that they have up there on the wall for me. Uh, <clears throat> but let's look, 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. Here's what he says. Brethren, I write no, no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from uh, the beginning. And so whenever you start looking at that, John comes along and he tells us, he's saying, I want you to understand that these commandments are rooted back in the Old Testament law. Deuteronomy chapter six and verse five, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And then in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18, the Bible says, thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then notice what the Lord says. He says, I am the Lord. And then in Romans chapter 13, Paul comes along 
and resorts to that principle as well. He's the one, the one that John has said in Romans 13 and 8, no, owe no man anything but to love one another for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. So whenever you start understanding that, that to love your neighbor or to love uh, your brother, that there is a part where that you are fulfilling uh, the law. And then Paul goes on. And immediately after he starts that part about loving your neighbor, look what he says in Romans chapter 13 and verse nine. He said, for this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if any or if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill toward his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And so what John is writing about, he's saying there's a commandment, there is a law. Now whenever you look at the law, we, we are not entirely completely free uh, of the law. In fact, Jesus uh, very much stipulated that uh, whenever he began to speak in the Sermon on the Mount, where that uh, in various other places throughout the Gospels that his expression was that he was not, that he did not come to destroy the law, and that he, but he came to upfill it, uh, be, came to fulfill uh, that law. And then there were others that will immediately go to uh, the book of Galatians and they will say that well Paul dealt with the uh, law that was being torn down and saying that we have no responsibility uh, for the law. What, were we, what are we talking about there? Well, when you look at the Mosaic law in the Old Testament, that law is divided up uh, into what we would consider three different prongs. You have the moral law, you have the ceremonial law, and you have the civil law. Whenever the law was destroyed by the cross, the only entity of that law that was destroyed was the ceremonial law. That means that we no longer have to practice sacrifices. We no longer have to adhere to those uh, to those those tenets of the more or of the ceremonial law and all the workings and the trappings that took place in that. Even the Sabbath laws. Uh, that some would say that we have to adhere to in our day. Those were abolished. They were taken, they were removed. However, it's still the moral law and even some tenets of the civil law that we still adhere and uphold. In fact, uh, if you were to look at and I've never been there, I've only seen pictures of it, uh, but where our Supreme Court meets uh, in Washington, D.C., that when you look at the Supreme Court on the building, uh, you find Moses and you find quotes for the Old Testament law, so there is an understanding that even in our American society, uh, that there are matters of the civil law that has been taken care of. And yet when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, we understand that what is Jesus doing? He's elevating the law that is the moral law and more so the moral law than the civil law, but he looks at that. You remember what he says? There's eight times whenever you look in the Sermon on the Mount when the Lord says, but I say unto you, and you remember he said, you've heard that statement, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. 
And he said, but I'm saying to you that, that you better make sure that you don't go, you, you don't hold to that, that there is a higher level of law. He deals with that matter of anger. Uh, he says, you've heard it, that you're not supposed to kill. He said, I'm telling you that even anger has to be something uh, that needs to be dealt with by the work of the spirit that's moving in your life. So what happens is, is the commandment of love, whenever we love the Lord, whenever we have been born again, uh, that there is a part of us that has a unique new law that has been placed in our hearts. In fact, uh, Jesus said in Matthew 23 or 22, beginning in verse 37, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so the Lord was coming along. He was just saying, I'm gonna tell you something. Your first obligation is to love God and your second is to love your neighbor or to love your brother as you would love yourself. Now that can be a very challenging uh, thing. And so John uh, was using these principles that was brought out by the law and he was reiterating the teachings of Jesus and basically what John was coming along, he was saying this new command is what Jesus Jesus has done. And so whenever they were looking at, at uh, the response of that, in fact, turn over, we read this verse on Sunday night, but turn over a page or so uh, to 1 John chapter 5 and let's look at verse 21. This is the last thing that he writes to that church. He's talking to the saints at Ephesus that he looks. Notice what he ends that. It's not like, uh, praise God, hallelujah, I'll see you later. It's not that. Notice what he concludes that letter with. He says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Why was John saying that? It's because there was a very heavy influence of a group called the Gnostics that were in uh, Ephesus. And they felt like uh, that they were kind of modern thinkers of the church and they kind of wanted to express that part uh, of free grace and that they were what they were saying was was that there's no real need for you to try to strive for righteousness or to have any kind of commandments that you adhere to in your life. You just kind of live and do and everything is going to turn out okay. And, and yet that does not balance out because the Lord said it in Matthew 7 uh, and verse 13 and 14, the Sermon on the Mount, enter ye in at the straight gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction and many there be which go in thereat. That's a troubling scripture to me. Matthew chapter seven and verse 13. Very troubling. Because Jesus is saying, many there be which go in there at. Why do they, why does that happen? Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And then he says, and few there be that find it. I think that ought to strike just every one of our hearts that tells us that whenever everything is all sorted out, 
and the Lord has, has taken care of every uh, matter in this life, that there will be very, very few that is really going to find uh, what, what he says is the way that leads on uh, to life. And so we look at that old commandment. Now let's look in 1 John chapter 2 and, and verse 8. So turn back over there to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 8 and let's look at what he says. He says, again, a new commandment I write unto you which thing is true in him and in you because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. And so John, he tells us there's an old commandment of love and now he says, and what does the new commandment look like? The new commandment looks like the quality of love that's demonstrated in the life of that saint. And you know as well as I know that there are qualities of love uh, that people have. In fact, I, I believe that our quality of love and commitment ought to improve as we go along, not only to God, uh, but to the relationships that we have around us, that those people that, uh, that were there with them, that what do we do? We love them in a greater way because our love has become more mature because there is a connection uh, that you have with that particular person. Now, I don't want uh, to, this is going to sound trite, this illustration I'm going to use, but I can just tell you now, here 15 years ago or more, um, we had a little dog, and I did not want that dog. I told my wife and kids on numerous occasions, I don't want a dog because I didn't want a dog in the house. I thought animals needed to be better served outside in the yard. That's how they were when I was growing up. We had yard dogs. And house dogs were just something was foreign to my mind. But anyways, um, through all the, the workings of everything, it ended up that, that uh, Brother John Curitan and Sister Rita uh, had a little poodle and my family ended up with a little small poodle uh, whose name was Papa Doe. And I didn't want that dog. And lo and behold, the more that I was around that dog, uh, the more attached that you got to the dog. And then when the dog got himself run over, uh, about 10 years after we had had him, or 11 years, I I'm telling you, it was like it was a disaster. Uh, because we had all gotten emotionally connected uh, with a dog. And so I told Teresa, and of course the kids are almost all gone, uh, I don't want another dog. And now Lauren has drug in a, a golden doodle, and uh, that dog's got the run of the house. His name is Spurgeon. I mean Sullivan. <laughs> uh, I told told Lauren I was going to name him Spurgeon and uh, so when she's not around I call him Spurgeon but he don't he doesn't he acts like he don't he can't figure it out but anyways it's interesting now that that, that dog is, is even though I didn't want that dog in the house is what's taking place now is that more that I'm around that dog is you're starting to feel a little bit of a connection with that dog now again I'm I don't want to relegate your relationship with other people or certainly not with the Lord. Uh, as, as, but you, I'm just making a point that the more that you spend with somebody that if it's a profitable relationship, 
there's going to be a connection that you begin to have uh, with that person. There's going to be things that you get caught up with in uh, that particular person's life. And, and so it is that whenever Jesus begins to talk about uh, this new commandment, he gives that whole concept of love. Love is not given only to friends, but you extend it to enemies. It's not only conveyed to good people, but you give it to bad people as well. Uh, love is given to the righteous and uh, to those that are sinners. Love is expressed in uh, to an acceptable, and yet it's also expressed uh, at times to those that are rejected. Love is given to the clean and it's given to those that are dirty. What was John saying? John was saying, I want you to understand this, that this new type of love that gets into your heart and into your spirit, uh, that sometimes we as saints of God have to battle with loving people that will challenge you to love them. Uh, that can be people that you are related to. Uh, that can be people you go to school with. That can be people that you work with. Uh, that can be people that you have been friends with for long occasions, that something takes place in that relationship, and then it is very difficult at times to love that person. And I, I would just want to tell you that there are things that uh, at times that, that the only way to work through that is going to be to work through that with prayer. Uh, you cannot have an academic understanding of what scripture has to say that it says you're supposed to love those people because our relationship with God is more than just a rote book. And as much as I want to emphasize the word of God to you, I'm just telling you that this book, if it's treated as an academic book, you will fall into the category of being pharisaical in your relationships. And so what we have to do is that we have to understand that we have to love people. How do you do that? You love them through the cross, but you ultimately have to love those people through the Spirit. And I, I can just tell you now that there are things that are taking place even in my life right now that it's challenging at times where that you have to say that, that you are going to continue to remain devoted in an expression of love uh, to be able to adhere to that. Now, don't read between the lines and think I'm having issues with my sweet little wife, okay? Um, but anyway... Uh, you would understand that, that sometimes it can be very, very difficult to love people uh, that have mistreated you. How does that take place? Well, I think one of the keys is when you start looking through the scriptures, uh, look with me to Matthew chapter 9 uh, and verse 36. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes... He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 14. Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them and he healed their sick. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 32. 
Then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because thou continue, they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat and I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 34. Matthew 20 and 34. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Mark chapter one and verse 41. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. Matthew, Mark chapter five and verse 19. How be it Jesus suffered or allowed him not, but saith unto him, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. And then in Mark chapter six and verse 34, the Bible says, and Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. So I want you, I'm sure you picked up on the theme there right now through all of those scriptures. You keep seeing that word compassion where that it pops up there. How does compassion take place in our lives is when we look at people and we, we realize that uh, because of where they are that we have compassion on them. And, and again, I, I just want to just throw this out here for, for all of us, I suppose, but mainly just for myself, uh, perhaps, I don't know. Uh, but there's times whenever you deal with people that you have to realize uh, that there are certain advantages that have been given uh, to all of us. There are sometimes there are circumstances that just seem uh, to have fallen into our lot in life. There are, uh, and I'm talking about positive things, and there are things that uh, people that are surrounded around us that uh, because they have been around us for a length of time, and that can be uh, parents, it can be grandparents, it can be uh, brothers and sisters in the Lord, it can be pastors, uh, that because you have been around those people with a certain uh, amount of time that there are advantages that have been placed in to your life. And so when you start looking at other people, uh, there has to be that consideration that you start thinking, well, maybe they didn't have some of the blessings and opportunities that I have had and that maybe uh, that explains some of their behavior. Maybe that explains some of their uh, animosity that they have and some of their grudges that they hold on to. And John was coming along and he was saying that this commandment for loving other people that if you can have that by the work of the Spirit, then the same Spirit that was on the Lord and Him having compassion, that we can have compassion on other people. And again, I think that's important for us to realize that we are all like sheep. In fact, uh, the Lord saw every person in need as a sheep that were fainting and scattered and in need uh, of a shepherd. And again, that's a fitting analogy for our times. I have uh, said this before. I use this a lot during the license and seminar whenever I'm uh, teaching classes to ministers. And uh, there, there are four distinct 
uh, categories of groups of people that's in a church. First of all, you have sheep. Second, you have shepherds. Third, you have goats. And fourth, uh, you have wolves. We understand that sheep come into the church because they're born into the church. So what do you do with the sheep? You feed the sheep. What do you do with the shepherds? You encourage the shepherds. What do you do with the goats? You manage them the best way you can, but you don't dare entertain the goats. That's not the purpose of a church is to spend all of its time trying to entertain the goats. And I would just say to even our local church right now that uh, there's times whenever people want to interject things into a church solely for the purpose. Why do they want to do it? So that we can entertain a bunch of goats. We're not interested in entertaining goats. We want to feed the sheep. And then the last category uh, is the wolves. What do you do with a wolf? You better kill a wolf. You better get that wolf out of that congregation. Acts 20, that's what Paul was talking about whenever he was addressing those Ephesian elders. He said, after my departing, I want you to know this, that grieving wolves are going to enter into the flock, but it's interesting where that he says they're going to arise. They're going to arise from that from within. They're going to come from the inside. And so when you start looking at that, now let's get to that part uh, about the sheep. The Lord desired to be a shepherd. A shepherd will do everything he can to spare uh, his flock. In fact, when you read, uh, here's what Jesus, he cares for his sheep. He calls his own sheep by name. He knows those sheep. He lays his life down for his sheep and then he gives them eternal life. All of those duties of a shepherd, you can find them expressed in John chapter 10, verses 10 through 16. And so the commandment, uh, that John is describing is motivated by the love that the Lord showed uh, during his earthly ministry. Now, now here's a disclaimer. No person can live up to that standard of love without the Spirit of God working on the inside of you. You can't have enough uh, behavior modification. You can't have enough uh, spiritual motivation or human motivation, there is no way we can love people that have hurt us outside of the work of the Holy Ghost and the work of the Spirit. And that's why, again, some of the verses that we mentioned uh, last night about walking in the Spirit, Galatians 5, Romans 8, that we have to walk in the Spirit so that our lives can cause us to sometimes do things that a normal person would say or an unconverted person would say, I, I would never do that. And you're right, they would never do that. They, they would never allow themselves to be uh, in that part. That's why there's such a premium that is placed on living your life in the Spirit. Romans chapter five and verse five, here is what Paul writes. He said, in hope maketh not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. And so then John follows up there in verse eight. He says, which thing is true in him and in you. Now how did it take place in us? Acts two, Acts eight, Acts 10, Acts 19, when the Holy Ghost started in uh, the upper room and began to flow in the direction of the church, it, it changed the direction of the way uh, that that church changed. Now, 
Here, here is what we have to understand. We need to be constantly aware uh, that this thing that you're involved in is not a sprint. You realize you're in a marathon? Now you run, you run your run races in different ways uh, if you are a sprinter. If you're a sprinter, uh, you're gonna take off wide open and you're gonna run, run, run real hard until you get to the finish line, which is usually a 100 yards or 200 yards or 400 yards, whatever that may be. But if you are running uh, a, a, a two and a half mile or if you're running a 26.2 marathon, you're gonna run that marathon in a distinctly different way than what you would a sprint. And it's important that you understand that. You can tell how much someone loves the kingdom of God by looking at them when adversity hits them. What happens uh, whenever you get knocked down, when you're doing right and everything in your life, you are doing what's right and you're living in a way that's pleasing to the Lord and yet there are obstacles and calamities that takes place. And a lot of times, if you're a sprinter, then the first thing that will start to happen is you'll start to question God. Uh, you will start trying to get involved in areas or matters to say, I'm gonna take this matter into my own hands and I'm gonna deal with this in my own way. I, I had a minister here a few weeks ago that uh, was telling, was talking to me and, and uh, he was saying this to me. He said, there's times whenever there are things that are done against us that what we have to do in our prayer is we have to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And yet sometimes you look at the argument and you say, well, they knew exactly what they were doing. And yet the reality that this minister stressed to me was this, was that they really don't know what they've done. They don't know what they do when they mistreat a saint of God. They don't know what they're doing when they come against the church. They really don't grasp or understand what is taking place in the mind of God whenever the Lord sees people mistreating children of God in a way that is displeasing to him. And again, there's times where that we have to remember. And I, I, again, this is a challenging thing that to remember that vengeance belongs to the Lord and he says he's gonna repay. He says that in the Old Testament, but he also brings that through, and Paul mentioned that in the Roman letter. He said, I want you to understand this one thing, that God has a way of taking care of things, and yet it's not by coincidence, and whenever Paul uh, lists love as the first fruit of the Spirit, uh, love is the springboard to attaining the addition to all of the other fruit in your life. Look at Ephesians chapter three. Ephesians chapter three, let's look in verse 16. The Bible says there that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love. Now we have to keep that in mind. What are we doing? We're being rooted and grounded in love. 1 Thessalonians chapter four and verse nine, but as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And so again, I just want, I don't think we're having any problems. In fact, I 
I pray we're not having any problems. I've got a couple of sermons that I've gotten during the downtime that I'm gonna preach to this church. I remember what Brother Enzi always would tell us in Bible college is preach these kind of sermons whenever your church is not having problems. And um, I don't know that there's any calamities or anything going on right now. I may be blind to it, but I don't think so. Uh, but I, I just uh, here a few uh, weeks ago, I'll tell you where I was at. I was off with Brother uh, Sims, and we were off out somewhere in the middle of nowhere late on a Thursday night or Friday night on some four-wheelers out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, the Lord just kind of dropped in that story about Korah and Dathan and Abiram and about how that they withstood Moses and Aaron. And I thought, Lord, what are you telling me, talking to me about this sort of thing? And, and, and I, I started just working on that. So I think that at some point here in the next few weeks, I'm gonna preach uh, that message. And again, I no, no, no awareness that I have of any difficulties that we're having. But you know, an ounce of prevention is always worth a pound of cure. And, and it's important that we love one another and that we love, because if the enemy can get into a church and get people all in pulling in a hundred different directions, what does that do? That causes the church literally to come uh, to a standstill. And I'm convinced uh, that sometimes more than a revival or more than the, just an outpouring of the spirit of God uh, in our lives, that sometimes we just need to love our brothers and our sisters in the Lord and let those things be taken care of and then the Lord helps the church begin uh, to move forward. Now again, I'm telling you that that is what the word says. I didn't tell you that it's gonna be the easy thing to do because you've come to understand this, that if you, you serve the Lord for any length of time, you suddenly come to realize that living for the Lord is a very challenging process in your life. And so John comes along and then he starts inching into a, uh, another concept that he's covered. Look there in 1 John chapter 1 and look in verse five. He says, this then is the message which ye have, we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness of all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. And, and what, what's John saying? He's saying, I want you to understand this. The darkness has passed and now there is true light that has taken place in uh, your life. That's the power of the light. And there's a similar statement that John uses. Look in chapter two and look in verse 17. First John 2, 17, here's what he says. He said, and the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God, he abideth forever. Here's what he says. He says, I want you to understand, this world is gonna pass away. So why would we love a world of darkness whenever this one is going uh, to pass away? And so the greater question, uh, again, is why would I put confidence in something that literally is going to be gone in just a matter of short time? Now let's look on uh, to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 9. Here's the test of the commandment. 
He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. And so now that John has established, he said, okay, we've got this old new commandment. He's now gonna say, I'm gonna show you that there is a test, that there are times where that this commandment is gonna be tested. And how is that going to be tested? Well, uh, that test is gonna come about whenever something challenges that love that you have for that person. And I, I just wanna just throw this in. Uh, we can't really say that we have, we are in uh, spiritual authority or submission, and it doesn't matter what relationship it is, whether uh, it's a husband and a wife, uh, whether it is parents and children, whether it is uh, church leaders and a church, you cannot say that you are submitted until that person tells you no. Let that sink in for a moment. Children can say they love their parents until their parents say, no, you can't go there and you can't get involved with this group of people. You can't be involved with that person or uh, even a husband and a wife. That There will be times where that, that husband will have to step forward in his God-given authority and just tell that wife, no, we're not doing this. We're not going to be involved in this and that love will be tested by that wife's responsibility to uh, her husband. And then even in the role uh, that we serve as spiritual leaders, I'm not your pastor, nor is Brother Patterson your pastor, until there is something that we say that you should not do until you're willing to do that. That's the part where, that's another deal, and I'm on, I'm, I was during all the COVID-19 lockdown uh, just, just trying to grasp and understand how does spiritual authority work in my life? Not, not how I can wield it and not how I can overpower people with it, but how does spiritual authority work in my life? It means that I have to be submitted in every relationship that I have. It covers that as a pastor or as having a pastor, Brother Patterson. What, what is my responsibility uh, to, to Brother Patterson as a pastor? And I, I can just say this. There, I, I've been around Brother Patterson so long now for 50, 45 years, a long time, uh, that there's a lot of stuff. I don't even have to ask him because I know how he thinks. And so he, I already know. We don't need to go in that direction. We're not gonna do that. Why? is because I know Brother Patterson as a pastor. Another relationship that I have is with my wife. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So if I want spiritual authority in my life, then what do I have to have? I have to have submission to a pastor. I have to have submission to my wife. You say, oh, you got it backwards. Let me ask you a question. If you love your wife the way Christ loves the church and are willing to be crucified for your wife, I would say that you are submitted to your wife. What about this relationship? You know what the first promise or the first commandment with promise is in the scriptures? It has to do with honoring somebody and that's honoring your parents. 
And so even at 50, about to be 54 years old, that I still have uh, parents, that what do I do? I honor my parents. And by virtue of honoring my parents, I'm just gonna tell you, much of the spiritual success, if you even wanna call it that, that I have had to take place in my life has had to do with a lot of being submitted in various and different relationships that I had in life. So how does those things follow through? Well, if there are people that are telling me no or if there are things that I know that they don't want me to get involved in, then I'm not gonna do those things. What am I doing? I'm demonstrating that I am in authority in subjection to those. And yet people wanna say, well, that, that's terrible that you're like, I just wanna just affirm to you right now, there are so many blessings and there are so many benefits that comes to you from you being submitted to somebody, it's amazing that there are blessings that can come in to our lives because of that. And so John is saying this. He's saying, if you say you're in the light and you hate your brother, you're stumbling around in darkness even until now. And yet, sadly, Jesus said that there's gonna be a lot of that that's gonna be prevalent in the end time. You can be religious and you can be lost. You can affirm a belief in God. You may have had a bona fide conversion. You may have experienced the new birth of repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. You even may attend a local assembly where that you worship, you pray, you read the Bible, you do all manner of things that would make you seem to be right, but John comes along and says there will be a crucial test that you're gonna have to withstand, and that crucial test is this, is that if you say you're in the light and you hate your brother, then you're walking in darkness. Now let me throw this in right now. I was talking to Brother Wayne Naylor about this, about 1 John chapter two. And he said, what's it about? And of course he and I had been through this passage before. And I said, well, I said, when you look at 1 John chapter two, what you're looking at is you're looking at the marks of conversion. You're looking at the marks of a saint of God. And so when I started summarizing those parts through him, he said, you know, you forgot something. I said, what is that? He said, uh, you, you forgot the part about decreeing and declaring. Uh, you forgot about the angel visions. You forgot about hearing all these magic, cool words that comes from uh, angels and from God every day. And he's been a little facetious and sarcastic. And I'm afraid that sometimes as Pentecostals, we put a high priority on high spiritual things. And what's John doing? John's pulling us down and he's saying, look, he said, you can have angelic visitations. You can have God speaking to you every morning just as loud as he can. And you can go around prophesying and decreeing and declaring and you can be as lost as a goose. If I had y'all all in here tonight, I'm sure I, we would all have a little coughing session right about now. Uh, some guys in the sound booth are coughing right now, so that's good. You understand what I'm saying here? That there's times where is there a need for prayer? Is there a need? We're gonna have an incredible service Sunday morning, Sunday night. I'm already 
I'm already wired up for that. Just being in here again with everybody singing and praying and worshiping, it, it is gonna be outstanding Sunday. But you have to understand that in your walk with the Lord that the priorities are on these areas right here. And there will come times where you will be tested. And at Matthew, or let's skip that, but let's look at 1 Corinthians 13, 1. Here's what Paul said. He said, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Now, let me say this to you as well. Love is, more, love is being even more expressed than sometimes in what we want to say it is. In, you know, we say, well, if somebody loves you, they're always hugging you and they're always kissing your cheek and you know, they're always patting you on the back and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to tell you, that is a very superficial love. Love is involved at times that there is great commitment that is involved. That means that husbands get up and go to, to a job and provide for their families. That means that sometimes mothers deal with cantankerous teenagers that they would rather break their jaw than to, that's terrible, and I'm saying that here the day, Sunday, Wednesday night after Mother's Day, but anyways, or sometimes with mothers that have small toddlers, babies running around. What are we doing when mothers are changing diapers, whenever mothers are providing for that care? They're not kissing the babies, but what are they doing? They're motivated by a love that is more than just a superficial expression sometimes that we would display in that. Uh, and, and so it is. If we hate our brother, then we are in darkness. Furthermore, uh, to take into consideration, and this is hard, I'm just gonna tell you it is, that sometimes we hold on to things that we ought to let go. Past hurts, old injustices, long forgotten offenses, and then we act accordingly to those parts that we have in our hearts and in our spirits. And I'll just tell you this, the finish line for me is closer than what it was when I started. And I can't afford to let something enter into my life at this stage in my fight, in this stage in my race, and allow something to enter in and get into my spirit that causes me to move in the other direction of an eternal home. And I'm just gonna tell you this, this can only happen when there is a consistency of prayer and of worship and a steady diet of the word of God. There, there, there are spiritual things that I want in my life right now. And yet I know that to get those things that the Lord will walk you through places and challenge you and sometimes what's he doing? He's testing to whether or not we can be trusted with some of those things that we have. And, and we only have a very short time to live and wisdom is knowing that you only have a very short time to live. It's knowing that there is some ownership that you have of some spiritual insight. And a lot of times that spiritual insight's gonna come to us whenever we are placed in a challenging situation. Let's move on now to 1 John chapter, uh, let's move on to 1 John uh, chapter two and let's look in verse 10. 
The Bible says there, he that loveth his brother abideth in the light and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. There's a lot of protection that you find in the light and that there is none occasion. You see that? If you abide in the light, there is none occasion of stumbling in him. Well, I'm looking at some comments here and apparently I'm just kind of ambling down some things that the Lord is speaking to us here tonight and I'm always thankful that the word of the Lord is somehow, it's good for us right where we live. And so it is that we sometimes have to understand we've got to get out of the darkness of limited human thinking. You realize that your mind can really lead you in a path that can cause you to think, well, this is, these are my rights. These are things that, that literally are right. And yet John is saying, if you love your brother, you're abiding in the light. There is none occasion of stumbling. That's a secure and a safe place for you to be able to look. Now, there's a progression that comes in this verse here. Look at it. You see where he says love, and then he says abide, and then we can look at the part where I'm gonna say safety. And that's what we need to desire in our life. Love, abide, and safety. All of those things are very closely related. And if I walk in the light, I'm not gonna stumble. There is a secure foundation that I'm gonna have in my life. That word stumbling in scripture is oftentimes associated with sin. And the higher the level of love that we have or that we're bound to, then the higher level of spiritual life is gonna take place in our lives. That's another promise. Do you realize that? That's a promise that you ought to underline in your Bible. You've heard that statement before where it talks about that the Bible is loaded with promises. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 10 is a promise. It's conditional, and there's a lot of conditional promises which says that you understand. In fact, Brother Patterson, when he's teaching through Hebrews here a few weeks ago, and he was talking about Abraham and got into that part about Melchizedek. And at one part in that Bible study, he mentioned the fact that there were conditional promises that God has in our lives. What will you say? Well, what does that mean? That means if you give yourself to that, then God will supply this particular thing because of the covenant that has been expressed there in your life. And so it is, the closer that I get to the Lord, then the more I am able to trust in walking through some of the most difficult and challenging trials of life. And again, I'm just going, I, I'm, I'm just, I wanna express to you that what I'm reading to you here tonight in this word is it easy? Absolutely not. Because there are some of you who have been honestly mistreated. There are some of you who have had great injustice to come against you. There are things that could get in your spirit because of some of the circumstances that you have had to endure in your life. And... Um, you can hang on to that and it's easy to do or you can somehow look at it and say, Lord, please, you have got to save me from myself 
I remember years ago, I went to Because of the Times, this was in probably the mid-90s or so, and, and this is pretty interesting. I sat down, I was in my 20s at the time, and I sat down, it was on the third row, and I sit down behind three or four men that were probably my age now, and I thought they were old men. And I heard those old men talking. It was about my age. And one of those men said that years ago that he had walked into a church somewhere in Texas. They were talking about Brother J.T. Pugh. And, and this was, it was one of the men walked in and he said that when he walked into that church, he said that the lights were down uh, and he said he slipped into the sanctuary and he said that he could hear uh, this man praying and crying and groaning. And uh, he said his prayer, he said the man was not praying in the spirit per se, but he said just groaning, Lord, please save me from myself over and over and over. And the man said that he felt like he had kind of you know, walked in on a private matter that he said, I thought, man, I shouldn't be here hearing all of that. And he really didn't know who it was. And so he sat back in the back of the church and he said then other people started gathering in and he said that man quit praying and he said and then he happened to look up and he said it was Brother Pew and he said Brother Pew was one of my heroes and he said I looked up there and he said I saw in my eyes a man that was just greatly used of God and yet he was praying Lord save me uh, from myself and I, I just tell you I think most of us if you're over 50 uh, that you have gotten to that point where that you're starting to pray now, not so much, Lord, save me from others, but save me from myself. What's taking place? You're looking to get into a place where that you don't want to stumble in your walk with the Lord. Now let's look on to this last verse here in verse 11. I don't know how long I've been going. How long I've been going, guys? An hour? Over an hour. Oh, my Lord. Y'all okay? I know y'all are. Y'all are stuck. You can't leave. I'm talking about all the people out here that's watching. Is everybody okay? I've been going. Let me go for another 10 minutes or so. It's only 8.20. The old times I'd have till 8.30. Is that right? Let's walk through this last verse. Verse John 2.11. But he that hateth his brothers in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. Here's what John's doing. He keeps striking at the hardness of heart that's demonstrated in the life of a pretender. Notice what he says. He says, he who hates, he's in darkness. He walks in darkness. He loses his sense of direction. He's blinded by his, or he's blinded in his eyes. That, that's the ultimate effect of what darkness has on your soul. He, he belongs to the darkness. He's controlled by the darkness. And finally, he's blinded by the darkness. That, that's the picture of a man. That there's challenges that he faced. He's stranded in the blindness and the darkness of a sinful world. He, he, he doesn't think anything about abusing his neighbor. He don't think anything about taking advantage of a brother. He don't think anything about, now I'm gonna throw this in here for free because I've had some of you on the ropes right now and you think, oh my Lord, he's, he's, 
he's, he's gutting me right now, but I'm just gonna tell you this, that, that there are things and there are people that they have done horrible things to you and they have offended you and they have legit, I say legitimately, illegitimately come against you and you're hurting from that. Understand this one thing. I'm talking about, you're saying, you're telling me to love those people. Here's what I'm saying. Love them to the best of your ability, but understand this one thing. The Lord's gonna take care of it. And I would just tell you this. And I had another man to tell me here recently. He's, he was talking about a situation. And he said, I, I just want you to know something. He said he was battling uh, with a situation. It was, in a, it was a minister. He was, he was having some problems in uh, his church and he was fixing to get involved in it. Uh, and he was fixing to just take it on on his own and deal with it. And the Lord told him, he said, do you want me to deal with it or do you want to deal with it? He said, either way it's gonna get dealt with. He said, but I wanna tell you this. He said, if you put your hands on it, then I'm not gonna deal with it. I'm gonna let you sort it out yourself. He said, but, he said, if you'll let me deal with it, if you let God deal with it, the Lord has a way of taking care of things. And yet it is so challenging. Second Corinthians, why do they act like that? Second Corinthians 4 and 4, in whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them which believe not. Why else do they do it? Ephesians 4, 18, having the understanding darkened and being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Now you notice what's taking place here. It describes a man that's walking in darkness entirely controlled by that kind of life so that the outlook, he's always gonna be governed by the circumstances of his life. His whole life is determined by who and what he meets and he has no real idea of what it's like to have a steady policy of God working in his life. Now, I want you to turn back, and this is my conclusion here. I want you to turn back with me to John 13. Let's look in... Uh, John 13, and let's start in verse one. Now, now, I want you to pay attention to this. This is, you probably already know this, but if you don't, this is gonna be remarkable. The Bible says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world. I love this. He loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things unto his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and he took a towel and girded himself 
after that he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wash them with the towel wherewith he was girded. And then there's that interaction between him and Peter. And the Lord sorts all that out. And then the Lord in verse 18, I speak not of you all, I know whom I've chosen. Look in verse 21, when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in his spirit and testified and said, verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. And then the disciples looked one on another, doubting whom he had spoken. Now, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. That's John. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of him that he spake. And he then lying on Jesus' bread saith unto him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, he it is to whom I shall give a sop. And when I have dipped it, and when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him And then Jesus said unto him, that thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought because Judas had the bag that Jesus had said unto him, buy those things that we have need of against the feast or that he should give something to the poor. And then he received the sop. Then he that received the sop went immediately out and it was night. Now, here's, here's, here's the part that I'm going to make and, and we'll, we'll conclude. You realize Jesus washed the feet of his disciples? Meaning that the man that was going to betray him, the man that was going to sell him out, is that the Lord is washing his feet. You you imagine that scene for a moment. Is that the Lord is down on his knees as a servant and Judas is sitting in a chair and his feet are in the basin and the Lord washes the dirtiness off of the feet of Judas. And then Judas has one of the places of honor at the table. And the Lord serves him the bread, or the sop, the bread. And in verse 27, and after the sop, Satan entered into him. And then Jesus said unto him, what you're going to do, do quickly. Greater love hath no man that he would lay down his life for his friends. And I'm just going to tell you this here tonight. That's a horrible, horrible portrait. And this is what Jesus tells us. Look in verse 34. He says, A new commandment that I have given unto you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you love one another. And by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. Again, we, 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 we need to have a Holy Ghost hoedown this weekend. 
But I'm just going to tell you right now that when you look at 1 John 2, that the marks of a saint of God is that he loves with everything inside of him, even those that are unlovable. And we're going to stand before the Lord one of these days. And whenever we stand before the Lord, there's going to be so much gratitude and so much thanksgiving and so much praise and worship that's going to pour out of your heart because of what the Lord has done in your life. I'm in here tonight, and Brother Patterson is here. My parents are here. Brother Abersole is here. Matt and Sarah and Clay are here. And then y'all have been here with me for a long time. I'm going to tell you, there's been an anointing of the Holy Ghost even in this empty sanctuary here tonight. And it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with this word. I want to pray for you. Lord, I have read some, some difficult verses. I've read some difficult things here tonight. Lord, even in my own heart and spirit, Lord, trying to sort this out. I'm confessing to you that there is no way that I nor anyone else can live this kind of life without the empowering work of the Holy Ghost. And I pray, Lord, tonight that the spirit of this Bible lesson and the touch, Lord, of your hand. I pray, God, that it comes into our lives because, Lord, we all want to be in that place where we do not stumble. And I pray, Lord, that on every one of the people, the saints, God, that are in this church, I pray, Lord, that on them tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.